All right. Well, we're going to do something just a tad bit different than normal tonight. Um, I'm going to do something I don't do hardly ever, which is not have a main passage of Scripture. That doesn't mean we're not going to have Scripture. We're going to have lots and lots of it tonight, but uh, um, we're not going to be breaking down Scripture like we usually do. Uh, instead, tonight we're going to be talking about something the Lord really have, has had in my heart for a, a number of weeks now, which is this idea of personal revival. Um, I think um, that, that most all of us would agree that it's been a rough few years, just, just in general. You know, I mean, we think of everything that has transitioned in our lives, everything that we've been dealing with in our lives over the last few years, whether it's the COVID stuff and everything that comes with that or the political upheaval or the seemingly immense moral decay everywhere we look or the ever-growing evil that seems to be coming right out in the open that we can no longer escape from, or whether it be the financial struggles and uncertainty, or the growing noise of global war, or just simply the, the chaotic lives that we live that just doesn't seem like we can escape from, etc., etc., etc. Are you with me? You know, everywhere you go, people are irritable angry, many times just downright rude. All this combined, um, at least in my life, I can tell you, has put a strain on my walk with the Lord. Um, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit uh, on the uh, candid side, I guess, for a couple minutes, just about just, just how I personally have found it easily easy to be sucked into all the noise and, and sucked into all the negativity. If I were to say that it's had no effect on my demeanor as a Christian, if I were to say that it's had no effect on my spiritual life, I would not be telling the truth. If I were to say that I've not letting these things get to me, if, if I was to say that I'm ecstatic with where my walk with God is right in this moment, I would not be being honest with you. Instead, I've, I've found myself where the fire that once burned bright inside has dimmed, where the excitement of the Christian walk has, has faded just a little bit. I will tell you that it's been a great chore to stay focused, to remain joyful. And again, I'd be lying if I, if I, was, if I said that, that everything over the last few years and all the strain that comes with it has not had a negative impact on even my witness for Christ. And I will tell you that at times I'm the irritable and angry one. <laughs> Is anybody following me tonight? I'm thinking, I'm guessing that I'm probably not the only one that has struggled just a little bit with some of those Things And I guess the rough part to hear is this. It doesn't seem like the noise or the irritations or the frustrations are going to quit anytime soon. In fact, it seems like they just keep growing. And so something that's been on my mind truly over the last number of weeks, really number of months, that I've just been seeking the Lord about in my own life personally is what am I going to do about it? Like, we really do have a choice, don't we? We can just continue to let these things get to us, let, continue to allow those things to defeat us and discourage us and irritate us and annoy us and whatever, or we can do something else about it. And so my prayer over the last number of weeks for my personal life 
is that, that God would just revive my soul. That he would restore that fire that once burned bright in me. That he would restore that, that passion and that drive to keep, mo- to, keep, to keep going. That he would restore that, that, that fire to, to, to share his gospel and to, sh- to be a witness as I should. And so I've been praying for personal revival. And maybe, just maybe, this may have been maybe something that's been on some of your minds as well. Now when I say revival, what do I mean by Revival. Uh, I'm going to give you a definition from um, Noah Webster himself, his 1828 version, which I seem to like. He, he describes revival like this. It's a return or recovery to life from death or apparent death, or reto- reco- the return to activity from a state of languor or lethargicness, a return to recovery from a state of neglect, oblivion, obscurity, or depression, or a renewed and more active attention to religion and awakening of men to their spiritual concerns. And so the basic idea of revival is bringing something back to a state of refreshed life, if you will. When it comes to spiritual terms, um, I like the way Tony Evans puts it. He says revival is the restoration of the spiritual life of God's people. Another man put it this way, revival is the awakening or quickening of God's people to their true nature and purpose. Um, But the one I really like, which is a little more lengthy, is from uh, this website called gotquestions.org, which is pretty good. And and, and he he says this, revival refers to a spiritual reawakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation in the life of a believer. It encompasses the resurfacing of a love for God an appreciation of God's holiness, a passion for his will and his church, a convicting awareness of personal, personal and corporate sin, a spirit of humility and a desire for repentance and growth in righteousness. Revival invigorates and sometimes deepens a believer's faith, opening his or her eyes to the truth in a fresh new way. It generally involves the connotation of a fresh start with a clean slate, marking a new beginning of a life lived in obedience to God. Revival breaks down the charm and power of the world, which blinds the eyes of men, and generates both the will and power to live in the world, but not of the world. I really, really like that one. And so, then the question comes, how do we recognize like, if we have a need for this? How do we know if personal revival is something that we need in our life? What are some of the, some of the symptoms? I just want to ask you just a few leading questions. Have you been experienced any or all of the following? Um, do you have a lack of fire or passion in your spiritual life? Uh, do you have a lack of focus maybe on God or spiritual things? Do you have a lack of drive when it comes to doing the work of God? Do you feel like you lack spiritual intimacy maybe in your relationship with the Lord? Does it seem like your times of worship, your times of prayer, your times of um, time in the Word, does it seem like they're just dry, not as exciting as they once were? Do you feel tired? Do you feel worn out? Do you feel frustrated, um, discouraged maybe, or even just a little bit depressed at times? Have you felt at all lately like when it comes to your spiritual life, you seem like you're just going through the motions, hoping somehow, some way it's going to change, but you just have no idea how to get there? If any or all of those things would describe you, you may be a person in need of personal revival. But the good thing is this. Can I tell you something? God wants it more than we do. 
God wants us to be on fire for him. God wants us to be passionate for him. God wants us to have a desire to do his work, to share his gospel, to minister to our brothers and sisters in Christ. He, he doesn't want it to be a chore. He wants it to be the desire of our heart. And that really is the heart of, of revival, is getting back to, to that place. In Isaiah chapter 57, in verse 15, Listen to what God says here. He says, Thus says the Lord, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. In basic English, God's desire is to revive the person that is humble enough to come before him and ask. So, how do we get there? Even if we know this maybe something that we need in our life, how, how do we recognize those things? How do we get back? How do, how do we know really where we're even at in our spiritual walk? And the first thing I want to th think, talk, or talk about or think about tonight is, is this idea at times we need to do a, a review or an inventory in our lives. Um, I worked at Crest Foods for you know, 18 years or so, and every single month we would do an inventory. Um, of the things that were supposed to be there, right? And every time we would do this, there would be times that we would be looking for something that was supposed to be there and wasn't, or we would find things that weren't supposed to be there and they actually were there. And I will tell you that there's times in our Christian life where this is so important for us to do, to, to make sure that the things that are supposed to be in our lives are actually there and to make sure things that aren't supposed to be in our lives aren't there. Now, What's the standard for this? How do we know? I mean, we could go to a thousand different scriptures for this, but I want to focus on one for a, a few moments, which is a pretty familiar one known as the fruit, singular fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Now, these, this list of, of things here are things that we should have all of them in our lives. It's not fruits, uh, plural, as in we get to pick and choose which ones we should have. It's the idea that all of these things should be present in our lives, and, and it's this, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these things are things that should be present in our lives if we are in a right relationship with God, if the Spirit of God is the one leading us and moving us in our lives. Um, we, we just went through the book of 1 John here for, for a number of weeks, right? And, and the main focus we've looked at each week was this idea, this big idea of, of walking in the light and love of God. And when we walk in the light and love of God, meaning we, we are in direct intimacy with Him, while we're close, unencompassed by sin, we're not hindered by any of those things. When we do, we experience the fullness of God's love, and through that, we have the ability to become a conduit of God's love and grace to others. When, when those things are right, all of these fruit of the Spirit will naturally be a result of those things. But if there's sin, if there's relationships that aren't right, whatever that looks like, then our relationship with God can't be right, and we won't possess some or all of these things. And so when it comes to the personal revival, this really is a good litmus test of where are we really at with God? Am I somebody that maybe doesn't even recognize that I need revival in my life, but after maybe we go through this, maybe you'll be like, eh, maybe so. So I just want to ask just a few questions regarding this verse. Are you a person that is consistently experiencing and showing God's love to the people in your life? 
Would you say that, that you feel like you and God are like this, just connected? No distance, no problem. You are as connected to him as you has ever been, and, and there's just no issues. Or would you say maybe there's just, does it seem like you're as close as you once were? When it comes to showing love, when, when it comes to showing God's love, is it seen in how you're loving your spouse, your children, your siblings, your fellow Christians, your co-workers, your neighbors? Are you displaying God's love to them? What about joy? Would you consider yourself a joyful person? Would you define your walk with God right now as a joyful one? Do you find yourself with a smile on your face often or maybe something else? Are you a person that, that brings joy and happiness to other people's lives or maybe not? Are you an encouraging person to be around or are you a downer? In spite of all the noise going on in your life, are, are you a person that, that, that keeps your faith and hope in God and, and you don't let all the junk of the noise around you get to you, but you're just joyful? Would you describe yourself as a joyful person experiencing the joy of God? What about the peace of God? In, in the midst of everything going on around us, would you describe your experience with the Lord as Philippians 1-7, where you have that peace of God that, that surpasses all understanding in Christ Jesus? What controls your life? Peace or anxiety? Peace or worry? Peace or fear? Peace or discouragement? Peace or depression? Are you a peacemaker? What about patience? Or really the, the, the better term is long-suffering in some of the older versions. Are you a person that suffers long on behalf of others? Are, are you patient with people or short-tempered with them? Do you meet people where they're at and their weakness or get annoyed with them and just move on? If people do something to you, are you a person who is quick to forgive and give them another chance or do you pretty much just write them off? Are you a person that gives people the benefit of the doubt or a person that is quick to judge, a person that, that chooses to see the best in people or a person that is too quick to maybe point out people's flaws. What about kindness? Are you a kind person? Would you describe yourself as a person who shows the grace and the mercy and the love of God that He's shown you? Uh, do you? Do you find yourself giving people compliments or tearing them down? Do you find pleasure in serving others or would you rather have people serve you? Are you a person that has a desire to be a blessing to others, or do you find yourself far too often distracted about what's going on in your own life, and you just don't have the time to worry about helping somebody else or doing anything for anyone else? What about this idea of goodness? The best of my understanding is talking about moral rightness is kind of the idea. Does sin repulse you? Do you have sin in your life that you haven't dealt with properly? Have you given in to compromise in some way? Are there things in your life that you know shouldn't be there, but you've somehow convinced yourself? Or maybe you think you're justified in doing whatever that might be. Are there things in your life that, that, that if Jesus were here that you maybe wouldn't take part in? Are you walking in the light as he is in the light? Would you consider yourself to be a faithful person? Are you faithful to the things that God expects from you? James chapter 4 and verse 17 tells us that 
it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. What about sins of omission? Meaning, are there things that should be in your life that aren't? Things that you should be doing to be faithful to God in your Christian walk but maybe aren't doing? Or are there sins of commission? Things that you are doing and you know you shouldn't be? Are you in His Word daily? Do you spend time with Him daily in prayer? Are you serving? Are you using your spiritual gifts that He's given you to build up the church? Are you faithfully building up and encouraging your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you faithfully giving financially to God's kingdom work? Are you faithfully taking part in the Great Commission? Meaning, are you sharing the gospel? Are you coming along people and helping to help disciple them, help grow closer to, to, to God in their walk? Because these are all things that God's Word tells us as Christians that should be present in our lives. Are you following the great commandment to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and and love your neighbor as yourself? Are you following the great commandment? Are you content with what you're doing for God? Or like Paul we talked about last week, are, are you dissatisfied with what you're giving? What about gentleness? Are you a gentle person, meaning meekness? Are you a person of humility? Are you a humble person, or do you struggle with pride or arrogance? Do you think of others before you consider yourself? Do you treat people gently or harshly? Do you meet people where they're at or have an attitude of pretty much says that this is who I am, and and people are just going to have to deal with it? Are you a gentle person? Would you describe yourself as self-controlled? Or maybe do you find yourself flying off the handle too quickly, noticeably irritable or angry, maybe given into temptations that you know are wrong? Again, we could, we could talk about them for all night long, but just, just the question is, is I've, is I've gone through that list. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As we think about those things, just this is between you and God, where do you line up? If any or a number of those things aren't, aren't in order, can I tell you something? That means your walk with God is not in order. And I'm not judging. I'm just telling you because we can't have sin in our lives and be right with God. It just doesn't work that way. Now, none of us are going to be perfect at any of these all the time, but if you find yourself dealing with one or many of them, my, my assumption is that your walk with God may not be where it should be. And so now it just comes the question, if you're a person sitting here thinking, maybe, maybe, maybe I do need some personal revival in my life. How do we get there? And I think it starts by reminding ourselves of the joy and fulfillment that we once had in God. I want you to think back to a time in your life where you felt the closest to the Lord. Maybe it was when you first got saved, when you were so excited and just so on fire for him, you just couldn't wait to tell people about him. Boy, when you, when you got into his word, you were just like, oh, it was just like refreshing to the soul and you were hungry. Think back to that time, and that really is the, the starting point of where God wants us to be. I want to read you a passage of Scripture in Psalm chapter 63. I want to read verses 1 through 5, and this is a time where David was in the wilderness running from his enemies, and yet this was his heart. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5, he says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Do you desire God that way? 
We're just like, I need refreshing, and the only refreshing I can get, I got it. It comes from you. you. You're the only answer. He gets into verse 2 here, and he says, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. He's remembering those times where he was the closest with God. Your unfailing love is better than life itself, how I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy, more than, satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. Do you remember those times in the past where you felt like during worship and praise, whether it was at home or, or here, like, man, I'm, I feel like I'm in the very presence of God. It's almost like, boy, we're in his very throne room. You remember those times in your word, again, where you're so hungry that you couldn't, you couldn't get enough? You were so close to him at one point that you just felt like he was right here next to you. Man, you were fulfilled in your life, passionate, joyful, couldn't wait to serve him. Remember that. Can I tell you something, what I found out in my life? There's nothing that satisfies like the Lord. There is, there is no amount of money or riches or earthly anything that compares with being close with the Lord. He truly is the only thing that fulfills. I remember a time in my life here not too long ago, just, you know, within the last year where I was just asking God, like, God, I have everything a man could want. I, I've been places that I never thought I'd go. I've done things I never thought I'd do. I have more than I ever thought I'd have. I have nothing to complain about, and yet, None of that satisfies. And yet what, I, what I came to realize during that time is the only satisfaction that can truly fulfill us is Him. He's the source of it. We need to remember that and get back to that place. Next, we need to recognize and repent of anything that's out of balance in our lives. In Lamentations chapter 3, in verse 40, it says, Let us search out and examine our ways and then turn back to the Lord. Something we need to do at times. How do we do this? I think it starts by giving God permission to reveal areas of weakness in our lives. God wants to help us, but we have to give him permission. Now, I don't want to take away God's sovereignty. My point is this, is that if, if we want this time of refreshing, this, this renewal, this restored passion in our lives, we have to give God the time to actually do that work in us. We, we have to choose to spend time with him, choose to dig into his word, choose to do the things that are going to help us see. You know this idea of conviction, we hear about conviction a lot in the church. What, what does that mean? How does conviction come? It's when we're in the word of God and we read something and go, yee, my life don't match up to that. You know what that means? You've been found guilty. You've been convicted. It's something the Spirit of God does inside of us. And so when I say we need to, to recognize and we need to, we need to give God permission, it's this idea we get into His Word and say, God, expose me. Expose my heart. Expose the deepest, darkest things inside of me and show me what it is in my life that is causing me to not be where I need to be with you. In, in Psalm 26 and verse 2, the psalmist says, examine me, O Lord, and test me. Try my mind and my heart. 
In Psalm 139, verses 22 and 23, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The idea is be an open book to God. Don't hold anything back because he sees anyways, but just say, God, show me, reveal it. And as he does, acknowledge what God reveals and ask him for forgiveness. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. I love Psalm chapter 32, verse 1 through 6. This is, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sin to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All of my guilt is gone, and therefore let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, and may they not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. The idea is, God, if we have sin in our lives, and I don't care if it's sin of commission or omission. I don't care if it's just a bad attitude or if it's something worse. Sin will separate us, not, not, not spiritually as in the sense of unsaved, but it will cause a, a separation and fellowship with God. Whatever that sin is, ask God to, re- to show it to you, acknowledge it when he, when he does it, and just ask Him for forgiveness. And then repent of those things and make the necessary changes. What's the biblical definition of repentance? To repent means to rearrange your entire way of thinking, feeling, and being in order to forsake that which is wrong. But I can tell you repentance is not possible without humility and a broken spirit before the Lord. The idea of repentance is not simply feeling bad or guilty for doing something wrong. The idea of repentance is not just being not very happy about the consequences that some sin has brought. It stems from the idea that you are truly broken internally over the fact that you've fallen short of what God expects from you. As you stop and ponder on the truths of the gospel and all that Christ has done for us, you're just broken over the fact that you heard him. Broken over the fact that you're reminded in your sin that he was dying for you, for me. We need to go back to that thought and remind ourselves of those things and ask God to break us inside over sin. As Joel chapter 2 and verse 13 tells us, it tells us to rend or tear our heart not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and great in kindness. He relents from doing harm. The, the, the idea of that passage there is, is the idea that it's not just some outward, woe is me, I'm sorry, but we're inwardly torn that we've hurt our Lord. That's where repentance starts. From there, we need to have a change of heart and mind. Internally, we need to say, God, this is no longer about me. Help me to make it about you and your kingdom. It's the idea that, that, God, I can no longer live in my strength alone. I have to submit myself to you and live in your strength. It's, it's God, I've struggled long enough. Now help me. Help me to learn what you want from me. Help me to, to, to do it and to follow these things out. 
in my life. As Psalm 86, verse 11 through 13 tells us, Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. With all of my heart I will praise you, O Lord my God. I will give glory to your name forever, for your love for me is great. You have rescued me from the depths of death. It's just this idea that we're just saying, God, I want you. I want to follow your ways. I want to do what it is that you want me to do. Repentance, true repentance, is is a brokenness. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. And it's a change of direction. It's not just feeling bad. It's not just getting to that place where we know it's wrong and asking God to do it. We actually have to take steps of faith and move in the opposite direction of where we were headed. As Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8 tells us, prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Most translations say bear fruits of repentance is the idea. As Psalm 25, 4 and 5 tells us, show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth, teach me, for you are God of my salvation and I will wait on you all day. Or Psalm 143 and verse 10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God, lead me in the land of uprightness. It's just this idea when we, if we're truly broken, if we're truly repentant, we say, teach me, and then we go in that direction by his strength. And just one more, accept God's forgiveness. You know, 1 John 1, 9 says that we confess our sin, he's faithful and just, forgive us for our sin, and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, one of the greatest tools Satan has is when we're in a time of just dryness, Spiritually, where we may be compromised in areas of our life, condemnation, guilt. Can I tell you something? As Christians, preaching the gospel is not just something we do to the people outside. We need to do it to ourselves. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel truth. We need to preach Jesus to ourselves and remind us what his word says about us. That we're not defined by our mistakes. We're not defined by our failures. We are defined by the blood of Christ. Can I tell you something? It wasn't our goodness that got us saved. It was Christ's goodness that got us saved. And it's not our goodness that's going to keep us saved. It's Christ's blood and his goodness that's going to keep us saved. It's his perfect life that gave us salvation, not our own. We need to remember that. Not take it for granted. Not, not, like, not like, like Paul said, you know, don't sin all the more that grace may abound all the more. That's not what we're talking about. But it's the idea that we need to define ourselves the way God defines us. Not the way Satan speaks in our ear. And then we just need to return to the Lord. I really love the way Job put this in Job 22 and verse 23. And this is from the New Living Translation. I just like the way he says it. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. So clean up your life. I love that. Pretty straightforward. Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 3, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. James 4, 7 through 10, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Return to God. But we have to do it wholeheartedly. We, We will seek him and find him when we seek him with all of our heart, Jeremiah 29, 13. This means that, that half, a half-hearted attempt won't get us there. We have to go all in. God, you have all of me, is the idea. We need get to get back to a place where we understand that it's about pursuing the heart of God, not more religion. 
Can I tell you something? Religion will never satisfy. There's no amount of religious activity that will fulfill us as Christians if it's not done with the right heart. What we do, if it's not done simply out of reverence and worship for God's greatness, we will get worn out. We will be dissatisfied. I'm reminded of, um, the, the, of the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2 doing all the right things, and yet they lost focus on the more, most important thing, was, which was just simple devotion to God. S- doing what they do with the right motive and the right heart. And, and, and he says here in Revelation 2, this is what Jesus is speaking to his church, to the church of Ephesus. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you don't bear with those who are evil. You have, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, um, and you found them liars, and you have, you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Sounds good, right? A church that's doing a lot of stuff. Nevertheless, in verse 4, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from his place unless you repent. So, so what are these first works, this first love? There's this one man named Martin Collins put it this way. Christ refers to our first love as this Greek term, protos agape. Such love is more than mere affection. It is action. The good works or first works that a Christian performs come from a sincere and zealous desire to serve God by serving man with no thought of selfish desires for reward, recognition, or reciprocal service. By eliminating these desires, a Christian allows for God's nature rather than his own to motivate him, helping him to ensure that the work accomplished is without pretense and pleasing to both God and the recipient. The idea is we serve out of a heart of love. Not only God, but people simply out of a pure devotion to Christ, not to gain an attaboy, not to gain a pat on the back, simply because, God, I love you, I'm going to do all these things that I'm supposed to do as your people. Pursue the heart of God. Remember Psalm 34 and verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, what joys to those who take refuge in him. Remember that. Get back there and then finally remain in him. Once you're there, don't leave. You know, I've often said that, you know, when, when we're in the valleys of the Christian life, man, we're scraping and we're, we see, it's like we want to get back to that, to that mountaintop and it's so hard. But then we finally get there and what's the natural response? Whew. We relax. We let our guard down. And next thing we know, right back. Remain in him. As John 55 tells us, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What does abide mean? Abide means intentionally staying as close to the Lord as you possibly can. How do we do that? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Do what he's called us to do. As 1 John 2, 6 says, the one, who, who, the one who says he abides in God ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Or John 15, 9 through 11, As Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Communicate with God. Get into God's word. Find out what he wants from your life and live it 
day by day by day, but don't live it in your strength. Live it in the strength of the Spirit of God that dwells within you. Don't forget Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Remember Galatians 5, 17? That, that, that gives this idea that we don't do what we want. It's either the Spirit of God or it's the flesh, the sinful nature. One of the two is in control. And the only way the Spirit's in control is by doing what verse 16 says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. We have to be submitted to Him each and every moment of each and every day, and that is the only way we're going to stay connected to Him as we should. And after that, remember that it's a choice that we have to make every single day that we wake up and do. We have to wake up and do it every single day. As Luke 9.23 says, if anybody desires to come after him, we have to take up our cross daily and follow him. If we can do that consistently, we will experience God in a new and powerful way. He will restore the passion and fire and alive our spirits that have been asleep will be awakened. We will experience a revived life in him. And can I tell you something? He will do incredible things through us if we can get there. I'm going to close with a couple quotes. One's by A.W. Tozer that says, Be somebody for God. It says, The men and women who have most fully illustrated Christ in their character and have most powerfully affected the world for Him have been those who have spent so much time with Him as to make it a notable feature of their lives. Over a period of time, they come to a place that they become like him, and consequently, consequently, they reflect his glory. The only way we can reflect the light of Christ is to walk in the light of Christ each and every day. Or one other gentleman, E.M. Bounds, says, to be little with God is to be little for God. To be much with God is to be much for God. The more time we spend with him, the more we become like him. So friend, if you need revival in your life, talk to the Lord. Remind yourself of where you used to be. Acknowledge, repent of anything that there that shouldn't be. Return to Him and stay there. But one last thing I have to say in this sermon is this. You can't be revived unless you're first vived. Meaning, if there's never been a time in your life that you come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this entire message doesn't even involve you at this point. You have to first come to faith in Christ. Recognize you're a sinner. Recognize that Jesus, the Son of God, died, went to a cross, and rose again for your sin and for mine. In doing so, he opened the door to heaven. Our response is what? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in our hearts that God raised from the dead, we shall be saved. It's the idea of this. It's not just some magic prayer. It's the idea of, of recognizing where we're at with the Lord and recognizing Jesus is my only hope and then say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. But don't stop there. We say, give me the power and the strength to live for you. When, if Christ is the Lord of the life, that means he's Lord over all of your life. And friend, that's true salvation. If you've never done that, do that today. Do that today. Because you know what the Bible says about a person who has never been saved? It says they are spiritually dead in Ephesians chapter 2. But, I love verse 4, but God, but God will bring life to your soul through Christ Jesus if you respond to him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time tonight. 
Thank you, God, for your patience with us. You're way more patient, God, than we ever could be. Father God, I think if we were all honest, Lord, there's probably areas of all of our lives that are out of balance or maybe not where they should be. God, that's not for me to judge, Lord. I just pray that, that you would reveal that to each and every one of us. Father, I pray you'd give us the grace and the strength to be humble enough to open ourselves up to you to say, search me, O oh God, know my heart, know my thoughts, know my ways. And as we do this tonight, even through this song, whatever that is in each of our lives, God, I pray that you would show it to us and give us the grace to be able to respond in faith. Father, we need you. We can't do anything in this life without you. God, lead us. Strengthen us. Help us to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close tonight, um, we're going to sing a song for you. And I just want to encourage you as